Hi there and welcome to another Osler podcast. My name is Todd Fraser and in this podcast series we interview leading clinicians, characters and troublemakers who are changing the face of clinical healthcare. On today's podcast I'll be chatting to Dr Andrew Casamento. Andrew is an intensive care and emergency medicine specialist. He splits his time between the Northern and the Austin hospitals in Melbourne in Australia and maintains his ED skills by working in regional Victoria. Andrew joins me today to talk about the use of analgesic agents in ICU patients. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for having me. Andrew, what do we currently know about the practices around analgesia in ICU patients in Australasia? Um, well, with the SPICE 3 trial, which has come out, we've got a bit of information, but we had some before that as well. Um, we know that the two most commonly used agents are morphine and fentanyl. So um, from the Dahlia trial, which was um, which enrolled patients around 2011 and 2013, we know that roughly around 30% of patients had fentanyl and morphine prescribed. Um, from the SPICE 2 trial, um, which was, again, around the same time, they actually had slightly different numbers, but around... Um, a third of the patients were Australian New Zealand and around 60% of patients had fentanyl prescribed and about 50 to 55% of patients had morphine prescribed. But the, the most recent SPICE 3 trial, which was just published in the New England Journal of Medicine, in the um, supplementary data, um, well, that was 4,000 patients and uh, slightly more than a third were from Australia and New Zealand. In the supplementary data, after randomisation, actually 80% of patients had fentanyl prescribed and about 30% of patients had morphine prescribed and uh, um, interestingly about 10% of patients had our fentanyl prescribed. Um, must be noted in that trial that Remy fentanyl was not allowed to be used so um, I guess that gives us a bit of indication about how uh, we prescribe these analgesics in um, ICU. Andrew, one of the issues with uh, analgesia seems to be that it's almost a set-and-forget type approach. We almost do it as much as habit as anything else. So do we have any information on the way that clinicians titrate their analgesia? Um, not, as, not as much as we do sedation, and certainly um, sedation was obviously in the SPICE 3 trial was, was looked at um, but analgesia was as well, and they used sort of a standard um, pain score, which or a validated pain score. But um, previous data would suggest that um, only about half of patients use. Um, sorry, in a previous study, um, about half the patients had a validated pain score used. So, so in reality, we, we, we probably don't. I, I don't. Well, certainly in my practice, and anecdotally speaking to other consultants um, around Melbourne, um, pain scores are not routinely um, used. Um, more, more sedation scores are used, and I guess we're using our analgesic agents as, as sedative agents as well. So I, think, I guess that's, that's what we do know, I suppose. What do we know about these, um, these agents? Um, it would be worth, I think, going through the, the basic pharmacology of, of morphine and fentanyl. Yeah, so, um, um, well, morphine is the, I guess, we've considered the prototype analgesic agent that, um, that has, has been around the longest, I think, and, and I would have thought would have 
would have been used more frequently. However, the data that I've just explained would suggest that it isn't. But um, so so morphine obviously is a good analgesic, and um, it is it has a slightly less lipid solubility than fentanyl, so it doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier as easily, which is which would account for some of the um, slower onset of action that we get when we use it for, as an analgesic agent. Um, it is um, metabolised uh, to um, uh, glucuronide agents, so morphine 3 and morphine 6 glucuronide, pretty um, quickly actually. Um, and one of the agents, the morphine 6 glucuronide, is actually met- metabolically active. So it's postulated that, that a lot of the analgesic effect are due to the um, morphine 6 glucuronide. Um, and this drug, the the, um, uh, the accumulation of morphine 6 glucuronide is important in our ICU patients, especially those with renal failure, because it is um, excreted renally. So it has been shown to hang around in um, patients with renal failure. Um, I guess... Um, when we're supposed to be using morphine and titrated to affect, it's difficult to know in our mechanically ventilated patients, for example, um, who have renal failure, how important that is. Perhaps we should be using less dose or turning it off if we are going to use morphine. Um, um, there is some other... There's obviously the standard opioid side effects. Histamine um, release is, is a side effect that that has been emphasised certainly in the past, but... Looking through the literature, there was one study which showed there was increased um, histamine release with morphine, but then there was a subsequent study which showed there wasn't. So it's a bit hard to know. I think clinically I have seen using morphine boluses, there is often a, a red flare and um, uh, which may be related to histamine release, but, but the reality is it's hard to know what effect this has in our um, ventilated patients. Um, fentanyl is a synthetic opioid, um, which has a quicker onset of action, mainly due to its um, higher lipid solubility. Um, it it uh, is very rapidly distributed to the tissues as well, though, because of its lipid solubility. So in particular, it undergoes first-pass pulmonary um, extraction, so 75% is quoted as being removed by the lungs. It also gets pretty rapidly distributed to, the, uh, to other highly vascular tissues, such as skeletal muscle. But that that um, increased lipid solubility um, does ma- or makes makes it qu- um, have a quicker onset of action than morphine. The, the I guess the the one thing with um, fentanyl is it's metabolised by the liver, but again, there's not a lot of evidence that. Well, there was certainly a study done in cirrhotic patients which didn't show that uh, fentanyl had an increased duration of action. Um, so it, again, it's hard to know in our um, ICU patients with those with liver failure, if it's supposed to be titrated to affect um, how how um, how important that metabolism is. But one thing that is important is the the context sensitive half time of fentanyl, which um, I'll just talk a little bit about. So um, because it gets distributed to the tissues quite readily, effectively the, those tissues form a, a reservoir for fentanyl to then move back down a concentration gradient back into the plasma. So the longer you give an infusion of um, fentanyl, the, uh, the increase in this context-sensitive half-time or the increase in effect of the fentanyl um, there is. There's a classic graph from um, well, over 20 years ago now um, 
which which has a which shows the effect of um, with increasing infusion of fentanyl, the increasing half life of fentanyl, um, and it uh, beyond beyond um, sort of eight hours infusion, it's reported that the, the fentanyl half life can be longer than five or six hours. So, I guess uh, if you're comparing morphine and fentanyl for mechanically ventilated patients for infusion, it's it's really hard to know. The, the, the pharmacokinetics, how much they interfere with um, our ability to use these drugs. Andrew, is there any evidence in clinical practice and particularly in ICU patients about the dose equivalence or the effectiveness of these two agents and in particular their, their impact on costs as it applies to ICU patients? Yeah, so traditionally, and this, when I did my pharmacology um, uh, studies doing first part emergency medicine. The, the quoted um, um, efficacy of fentanyl morphine was that um, it's a one to a hundred dose of, of potency. So um, 10 mics, micrograms of fentanyl is the equivalent dose of um, one milligram, equivalent effect of one milligram of morphine. Now, obviously, there's, there's differences amongst patients, but um, in the ICU literature, there really isn't much known. Um, regarding the dose equivalency. However, in other uh, um, areas such as pre-hospital and um, in-hospital analgesic agents, uh, using the agents as analgesic agents, um, the, the dose equivalency is quite varied from as um, low or high as 1 to 25 or so, 1 to 40, which means that we may be underdosing fentanyl um, when we're using it, for example, we might need to use two and a half times as much as what we think or five times as much as what we think when we're trying to get a, a clinical effect. Um, and as I said, obviously, it'll, it'll be very patient to patient, but um, the classic one to 100 probably probably doesn't fit. And I think clinically, I guess I'm using, I've got a bit of bias here, but I always, I always believed that morphine was a, was a better agent when I'm using it um, for infusion for mechanically ventilated patients. But going through the research, perhaps it's, it's just that I haven't been using enough fentanyl when I've been using it. The, the cost of these narcotic drugs depends on whether they're pre-made or whether the, the um, nursing staff are making them up as they're using them. So pre-made drugs um, have a longer shelf life, so so they can obviously can last and just picked off as we need them. Whereas the um, the drugs that are um, made up by the nurse stuff as required have to be used within a very short period of time. Um, with regards to cost, the pre-made bags, if you compare 100 milligrams of morphine in 100 mils of normal saline versus a, a pre-made bag bag of 100 micrograms of fentanyl versus in 100 mils of saline. The, the morphine is far cheaper. It's low. An uh, example of cost I've got is $11 versus $27. So if, you're using, if, the, if the ratio is truly 1 to 100, then fentanyl is clearly far more expensive. However, if uh, for some reason, if you actually make the fentanyl up and the morphine up in the same concentrations, 1,000 micrograms and 100 mils for fentanyl or 100 milligrams and 100 mils for morphine, the fentanyl is, is far cheaper, um, a third of the cost. So that would imply that way that if fentanyl, again, is the potency is 1 to 100, then the fentanyl will be far cheaper. So, but, but the reality is I think we, we, we don't know the dose equivalency in ICU patients when we're using these drugs for mechanical ventilation. 
so it's hard to know the cost implications and and I think that would be an important area of further research or research to be done. Andrew, it certainly seems that there's a lot more to be um, uh, discovered or researched in terms of how these drugs apply in the ICU, but are there any guidelines on how to uh, make best use of them or other analgesics in the ICU? Um, there's not a lot of... Um, and not a lot of guidelines, and certainly um, I've sort of looked into whether ANZICs have a, have a guideline, and we, and we don't. But um, the American College of Critical Care Medicine published some guidelines a few years ago, which um, suggested that there really isn't much different difference currently known um, between the effectiveness of any of the analgesic agents, but the evidence was sort of well, low quality, so it's, it's hard to know. But it is rec- they did recommend in those guidelines that people or physicians and nursing staff use um, pain scores to titrate the effect of the analgesics we're giving. There's a couple of validated pain scores that they recommend. Um, so there are some guidelines, but they, these were published, I guess, about six years ago. Um, and we subsequently have a bit more literature regarding sedation practices and um, uh, but not much more regarding analgesic um, analgesic agents. So, there seems to be an increasing interest in the concept of pain first management in relation to reducing sedation. Do you think that will impact on on guidelines into the future? Um, it's possible, but uh, but again, the 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 literature on that is there is some, but it's not great literature, and I think it needs to be explored more um, before those recommendations will come into place. But certainly I'm aware of you know, certain trials that have been done which showed that at least giving analgesic-only um, sedation is, is possible and can be done, but I think there needs to be more work done on that area. The article that you wrote in Critical Care and Resuscitation was calling for further research in this area. Uh, given the um, the frequency with which we use them and the lack of information available to us, can you summarise what you would look for in a research program? Where are the key areas that we need to focus on, do you think? Um, well, there... I guess, as you said, because it, those, these drugs are used so commonly, there's... Um, there's just a broad area of research that can be done. I think uh, we we are actually planning to do a um, cluster crossover trial at the two hospitals where I work in in uh, Melbourne, um, at the Austin Hospital and the Northern Hospital in Melbourne. And we, I guess, in a similar way to which um, Peptic was done and we and which the split trials were done, we're going to um, one the Austin. Um, is going to be randomised to one drug and the, and the northern will be randomised to another drug. And so we're planning to um, prescribe all mechanically ventilated patients the one drug for six months um, at each hospital. And then after six months, we're going to swap over. So um, that, that's due to start in a couple of weeks. We've got ethics and uh, just waiting on local governance, but um, approval. But we plan to start that. And the things we are, first thing we're going to look at is... Um, well, in this trial in particular, we're going to look at ventilator-free days at day 28. But there's a, that's the primary outcome, but there's a whole lot of secondary outcomes um, that we're going to look at as well, including, well, firstly, dose equivalency. As, as I said before, we don't really know um, 
the dose equivalency of these two agents when we're using them as infusions for um, mechanically ventilated patients. Um, we don't know their effectiveness with regards to sedation and one of the things we're looking at in secondary outcome measure in our study is the use of other sedative agents such as um, propofol, midazolam um, or dexmedetomidine as a surrogate, I guess, for how effective these two agents are for um, sedation. Um, in particular, we'd also like to look at, I think we need to look at cost and, and long-term outcomes such as narcotic, we're not so much looking at this in our trial, but certainly long-term outcomes such as narcotic dependence and cognition and motor performance down the line. Um, we are looking at cost for our trial. Um, so look, I, I think the, we've sort of got a blank canvas for ICU patients for these drugs. So I, I think, um, you know, the, those things I've talked about will be important to start with anyway. It's always fascinating to review the literature around some of the things that we take for granted in ICU and medicine in general. So, Andrew, thanks very much for reviewing it and uh, shining a bit of a torch on this important area. No worries. Thanks for having me, Todd. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. For more interesting interviews just like this one, please see our website at osla.force.com.